You're listening to Break Your Ego, Find Your Soul with Ramsey Bergeron. Today I interview Dr. Darren Merriman, an emergency room doctor from Little Rock, Arkansas, who I've had the pleasure of knowing for, gosh, over 30 years. We actually worked at Foot Locker together back when I was in high school and he was pre-med back in the day, gosh, in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And we talk about how he's been dealing with all the COVID in the emergency room there in Little Rock, how he detaches from work, takes care of his three children, and some of the obstacles he's faced in life, and how his view of failure has changed dramatically over the course of the last 10 years. So it's a great listen. Uh, hope you enjoy it. Darren, how you doing? Hey, man, I'm great. How about yourself? Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. So why don't you tell my audience a little bit about uh, kind of your practice and what you do? Uh, I am a medical doctor in the state of Arkansas and work primarily at this time as an emergency room physician on the front lines. Um, previously, hospitalist, nocturnist, uh, intensivist, cross coverage, not an intensivist, board certified, just cover them at nights as a hospitalist. And then uh, geriatrics, wound care, and family practice have kind of been over the course of my career areas, but primarily emergency medicine. Gotcha. And I imagine uh, we're, gosh, we're talking here beginning of August in uh, 2021. So I imagine that's been kind of busy lately. Uh, covered up. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's, uh, it is an opportunity to excel. <laughs> um, so I guess take me through, you know, I, I don't want to get too much into the weeds and the politics or any of that, but just in regards to what you experience as uh, a human, as well as a doctor, just when, what you're seeing coming into the emergency rooms uh, just these days, and I guess over the course of the last year. Uh, the last year has definitely been an interesting year uh, compared to the last 20 with obviously COVID, but um, with things returning to, let's air quotes, normal, um, you know, for a lot of people now seeing a pandemic kind of superimposed on your normal day-to-day wrecks, heart attacks, strokes, gunshot wounds, stabbings, the, the assortment of things that normal emergency medicine can bring. Now you have a pandemic on top of that. And so it's a uh, volume um, is certainly an issue, the normal days of, uh, what we call dispositioning of patients, whether you're trying to admit them to the hospital or to an ICU or send them home or for an outpatient clinic, wherever they're going, um, once their emergency visit or encounter has, has occurred, that has been probably the greatest challenge. And I think you're hearing a lot of the other states kind of, uh, kind of starting to see what we're seeing, um, uh, it was interesting how when the pandemic first broke out, you know, you saw your New York cities and your large metropolitan areas kind of leading the way and kind of being at ground zero here in Arkansas and Mississippi and Alabama and into Missouri and Kansas. We've kind of seen almost a, a spread out of here uh, throughout the region. And that is giving us quite a, a challenge with regards to getting people where they need to go for the routine care. So. We've seen quite a cacophony of presentations uh, with a superimposed, you know, pandemic on top of normal emergency medicine stuff. Cacophony, good word. That's uh, hadn't hadn't heard that one in a while, but seems to be very apropos. There's another one for you. Another nickel word. Well played. Um, but it sounds like you've really, you know, experienced a lot. And, you know, I've known you, I've had the, gosh, I guess I've known you as a human being for 30, 30 plus years. Yeah, the polyesters. Um, what's that? The polyesters. Yeah. Back in our uh, Foot Locker days in the Indian Mall in Jonesboro, Arkansas in the 90s. So let's go. Anyone has any pictures, send those in. Um, but, you know, it's, 
I know how challenging the pandemic was for me and continues to be uh, in, in some regards, but how do you find you're able to handle, um, you know, I, first off, I couldn't even imagine being in an emergency room doctor, the things that you have to, to do to detach from scenarios um, when, when people come in. So take me through how you usually handle that and how things, if, if at all, are different for you now. Um, thankfully, kind of the emergency medicine part of things and critical care in general prepared me a little bit more so than perhaps some of my colleagues for this type of extreme, I guess is the way that you could try to put that gently. Um, I literally go as hard as I can while I'm there, you know, in this, uh, I used to teach a lot of my residents and, and interns and physicians that I would train that you have to become very, very comfortable being uncomfortable. I mean, mm-hmm. um, if you walked in in any one regular day, uh, in an emergency room across basically North America, you would say, how in the world is this your office? And that is just normal. We really don't know anything any different. But I l- literally go to the opposite extreme if I'm not at the hospital. If I'm not at the hospital, I am literally unplugged. And so spending time with my fiance and my kids and, you know, I mean, as you know, I'm an avid gamer. Uh, I used to play a lot of ice hockey and, you know, things of that nature. I mean, it's just it's a complete 180 to literally just kind of rest and recharge your batteries and just engulf yourself into whatever you're passionate about outside of things. And so uh, for me, that's been an effective strategy over the last 20 something years of just making sure that you have to take care of yourself and recharge your batteries so that you literally are, are ready, willing and able to do what you need to do based upon the demands that you can't even predict what's coming. Um, and, that's for me, it's, it's been effective. And so when the pandemic hit, um, it's been even more so, you know, um, I had some the priv- honor and privilege of working with some amazing uh, minds and surgeons over the years who, you know, always had that mantra, you know, you eat when you can, you rest when you can, you use the bathroom when you can, you have sex when you can, all of those different kind of mm-hmm. things where it's like, this is this and this, you know, if you're in an operating room, it's real simple to say, you know, what you're dealing with here. Yeah. When you have seven to 38 rooms full of, of all of those kind of situations, it's the same is true there. You just, you have to do what you can when you can, but importantly, when you're away from the care setting, you have to, you have to take care of yourself and, you know, harvest some in, uh, enjoyment, meaning, you know, wherever you're at in your, in your uh, journey, uh, whatever's important to you. And so right now with, you know, I've got, three kids and goodness, they've just turned 12, 14, 16. And so they're at a certain chapter of their life where it's, uh, it's really, really enjoyable, you know, to get to spend time with them. So that's been the blessing is, you know, being away from the hospital. Um, I just kind of engulfed myself in a lot of that as much as I can, because I realize those times are fleeting too. Yeah. So what do you do when you're in those moments with those kids? Uh, you know, that, that to, to help keep you grounded and, um, you know, to not worry about like, oh, I got to go back to the office tomorrow. Like, what do you do to kind of ground yourself and spend time with them? Um, I try to create moments with them. And so, you know, uh, but basically any time that they are in, I think I probably stole this from Covey, you know, from the seven habits kind of approach where mm-hmm. when he talked about letting a kid teach you something that they're uh, passionate about, that has been really, really great for me because being able to let my kids just kind of um, 
control that directive so that basically I'm listening to them and really kind of enjoying what they're putting out uh, has been huge. But more importantly, I think you add another layer to that when you allow them to something that they are passionate about, whether it was Pokemon Go or Pokemon Cards or, you know, Fortnite or Apex Legends, whatever it is that at that moment they're they're passionate about. Um, just kind of being in that space with them so that you really can enjoy your time. And at the same time, the, the student in me obviously is always learning, you know, from them as well. And then inevitably as a father, you're able to lace in kind of some uh, little advice versus various things, whether it be in a competitive setting or uh, other things. And, and so that, that discord with my kids is, is huge. And then, you know, we'll have the traditional structured, uh, events and dinners and those kind of things. But as yeah. far as the escapism of that, that's a lot of where I try to put myself when, and then I also try to make sure that I'm, uh, I take some time with each of them because, you know, each, yeah. they're my kids, but each individual one has their own uh, set of, of ways. And you want to be able to appreciate and love each one of those and kind of yeah. give them undevoted time. Same thing with my fiance. Yeah. You know, whatever, I, I, whatever we're doing. Yeah, I, I would uh, hate to pretend that I can relate with my three dogs because I have to, you know, give each of them attention. But, you know, kid, kids aren't dogs and they're not ducklings, especially I know me and my brother were two years apart. Like uh, kids are it sounds like years are two years apart each uh, down the line. And um, that's that that can be a challenge to, to give each one their own individual attention and not feel like collective dad time versus individual dad time. So I commend you for that. That's impressive. Um one thing you mentioned, because you did mention Covey, and I know that just from the fact of knowing you for, for decades and decades, you, you've been a, a student of self-improvement for your entire life. I think I might have gotten my first Tony Robbins book from you um, when I was a teenager, um, when you kind of introduced me to, to, to self-improvement. I want to ask you, I know that you're, you're re- very developed on self-improvement. How would you rate yourself with self-compassion? Um, better than where I was years ago. I mean, decades ago is kind of a perfectionist competitor, uh, that was not as high on my priority list as it is now. Um, and I would credit my patients with that, you know, having the honor and privilege of in a clinical setting or in an ER or an ICU, wherever that occurs, you know, you start to hear common themes of what's important. Um, and, and so that was really uh, a good turning point for me as far as that self-compassion, as far as being able to give yourself at the same time. Um, I don't allow myself to become so self-compassionate that like I forget my role where I am because um, sometimes as a physician, I can't speak for everyone else kind of in healthcare, but the profession comes above you. You know I mean? It, it is what it is. You're here to, to help serve others in a scientific capacity and, and I don't let that get twisted, but I, yeah. make, I make sure that when I'm not in that setting that, you know, I am compassionate to myself and understanding where, you know, it's hard because when you talk about self-improvement, I am a huge fan of, of everything, which is, oh, man, Tony, I've had the honor of meeting him twice. He's a great, great guy. I love all of his works. There's always something to learn from every bit of it, Covey, all the others that I like to read and just kind of get different points of references. But when they talk about things like, uh, I'll go back to Covey, uh, when you're talking about sharpening the saw and taking care of yourself, I think that you certainly have to incorporate that compassion for yourself, the situation. And I think everyone has an interesting point of reference now with the pandemic, you know, how people chose to cope uh, during those times 
and how they survived that situation, whether it was mentally, physically, emotionally, you know, whatever was needed at that moment, you know, it might've just been something as simple for two straight days to finding toilet paper, you know, whatever, whatever that situation was, um, you have to allow yourself uh, the empathy to have compassion for yourself. And so for me, it started with my patients. It's certainly been reinforced with the, the quote unquote self-help type of things, but it's always something that I struggle with because as a, as someone who holds themselves to a certain standard and a profession that holds you to a certain standard, uh, sometimes you get the scraps and you have to make sure that if you're living on those uh, physical and emotional scraps that you're, you, you have in your to-do list or an area planned where you're going to take time for yourself and others. Uh, and for me, that's, that's helped, but it's certainly not, you know, it's, it's a never ending journey on making yeah. sure that you take care of yourself. Oh, that's uh, that, that's great awareness there. So, you know, I know that you've, you've said that you've uh, clearly self-improvement, something that's, that's a, a value that you hold dear. What would you say that your other most important values are? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, my most important value, I would say that pleasure and enjoyment have come higher than they used to because, you know, when you're driven and you're worried about this goal or this directive and these kind of things, um, it became a very destination-driven situation. Um, and enjoying that part of the journey has kind of brought me back to where making sure that you have enjoyment in each thing that you're doing is really, really, really important because I see a lot of people, you know, they're, they're planning for this thing or the retirement or when they graduate from this or when they have, you know, this point in their career handled or this book. Um, certainly those objectives are always there, but I, I saw some of the most amazing people in my life very disillusioned and frustrated and you know from the outside looking in you would see them and think man they've got the world or you know how can they be feeling a certain set of emotions um and for me it really kind of reprioritized things where you know you have to enjoy whatever it is today this podcast i mean you know it is about enjoying where i am right now in this moment um and so you know certainly you can reflect on the past certainly you can have your your tasks prioritized towards your journey in the future. However, if you do not take the time to prioritize this, and so, you know, I've never really thought about it that way, Ramsey, but I really think enjoyment is probably one of the bigger drivers that I would have never even, even, you know, if I was hitting up making a list of all of the things, uh, but I, I think that's it. I mean, right now where I'm at, and maybe it's just a reactive, you know, to where we are clinically, uh, but for me, I think it's probably enjoyment. But from what I'm, you know, yeah, yeah. No, what I'm hearing is though that, is that you find enjoyment in everything. Yes, sir. I think that, and I, I don't know if that's just age. Uh, you know, with the bifocals, I, I don't know. But <laughs> I think that I think that has been the thing that probably has helped me the most because you truly do have to enjoy. I mean, yeah. you know, when you're working, uh, and sometimes that's a challenge. But it's really not once you get to a certain place where it's just, you know, whatever it is I'm going to do today, I'm going to make the best to to enjoy this situation. And more importantly, when you're in a a team setting, you know, um, within disciplines, I really, you know, you and I've played sports and what have you in in a similar setting 
uh, and even acted in a similar setting. When people say that so-and-so is, quote, good in the locker room, you know, that kind of mantra where within the team setting, you've got to have those people in your life that just find a way to, if, to keep it in the middle, right? Yeah. So like as a goaltender in ice hockey or a pitcher in, bas- in baseball, you can never let the highs get too high and you can never get the lows get too low. Uh, when I came into healthcare, that became paramount, right? I mean, if somebody just lived or if somebody just died, that's an obvious extreme of, of situations. And then you've got their families and everything else that you have to consider. You have to be able to keep it in the middle of the proverbial fairway. And, mm-hmm. and um, so tempering that and making it enjoyable for all of the people involved in that situation um, has kind of become just a way of life for me. And I try to keep that same uh, approach, if you will, it, whether it be in business, whether it be with my family, whether it be in my personal life, um, just to try to make it pleasant for everyone involved. And, and that includes yourself, right? I mean, it's, you yeah, because you can put the face on for a lot of people, um, but you have to find that vein where it's just, you know, your harmonic C where you just you're in the right space. Yeah. And you are enjoying this. And, you know, like, like old Jobs said, if you're not doing that however many days in a row, I think he said five, you got to start reevaluating, you know, what is it that I'm doing? And that's okay. You know, if, if you're just not in the right place, because keep trying, you'll, you'll find it. But I think enjoyment has become paramount in uh, coping with current situation for sure. Yeah. You know, listening to that, it seems to dovetail in nicely with your newfound um, uh, self-compassion that you're working on, like, like enjoying every moment. And that includes self-compassion. Like you, you're kinder to yourself, which allows you to enjoy the moment. Absolutely. So everything, you know, one of the things that I, I talk with my clients about and my, my other guests that I have on the show is everything has a cost, you know, whether, whether it's um, good or bad, it, it costs us something. So what would you say your current lifestyle is costing you? Time, no doubt. I mean, if you could have your ideal situation where you have allocations of certain time, um, uh, it's better than it used to be for sure because I make sure and literally my my schedule is made for myself professionally a year in advance. Hmm. I know when I'm going to work, where I'm going to work usually and and how that's going to go down. So then I schedule you know, my personal time with, uh, with my fiance, with, with my kids. And then everything that is not blocked into those situations is my own. And is that where you would want it to be? Well, no, but it, you know, someone who's 47 years old, I feel pretty good about the balance, you know, where it's at right now, as far as the percentages. And that's where kind of, when I look to the future, that's what I look to improve. You know, I mean, those percentages at certain durations, I mean, obviously when my kids are you know, too old to uh, be at this phase where, you know, dad is the same priority. We've all been through that as kids, you yeah. know, as they continue to grow, you'll have time for them, but that's where a little bit of that rebate towards self kind of comes in there. So with that being said, and kind of how you, you're, you're looking to shift the time, what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, that's a great, great question, my friend. I, I really wish I could have gotten that mantra of enjoyment of the process to myself sooner. You know, I mean, I, I don't know where exactly along the road that became a higher priority because there were amazing times in there that 
you know, I thought were just a part of the challenge and the journey that I really didn't take the time to savor and enjoy, no matter how they ended up. It was, it was, uh, it wasn't a very enjoyable time and it didn't seem like it because I was much more task driven and oriented. You know, when this occurs, then I can feel this or do this. Mm. Um, I really would advise myself to enjoy and I know we've all heard it, right? You know, a million yeah. times, a million different ways, but you really, uh, sometimes you just take it for granted. So that would be the thing I would definitely tell myself is find a way to enjoy, you know, Whichever, even in the uncertainty, right? I mean, the certainty is, yeah. you know, if you're getting a degree, you know, it's not a lot of flexibility. I'm going to do this. I'm going to show up to these classes. I'm going to take these tests. And that's what I'm going to do. Um, so it's very linear. But in the degrees of like uncertainty, like when I went into business and I had no clue what I was doing, but I was learning, you know, from mentors and books and uh, franchises and things of that nature. And when you're in that uncertain time, for me, the certainty and the uncertainty, you've got to find a way to enjoy both sets of those processes almost equally. So with that being said, then what in life is certain? Uh, Don't give me death and taxes. <laughs> you took the good ones. Um, uh, uncertainty. Yeah. Okay. Well, just because you say, you know, whenever you're facing certainty. So I just kind of wanted like yeah. it's a matter of perspective. So like even when you're going to class towards a certain degree in a linear path, paths that you thought were linear in the past, how linear do they end up to be? Exactly. I think that's a fantastic thing. And I, I've not thought about it that way. But yeah, the only certainty that I could come up with is uncertainty. It's just varying degrees of how much uncertainty there is. Um, and so, yeah, I mean. I could make counterexamples for almost everything I can come up with that you could say that would be certainty. So I think that's my new answer. The only yeah. thing that's certain is uncertainty. Impermanence. I like that. I like impermanence too. Yeah. Um, the only thing permanent is impermanence. That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could go with, with, the, with the physicist stuff about energy, but I, I'm I, even then I'm not. Well, even energy. Mostly. Yeah. But, but so even, I'm even the location of energy, like, you know, it, so is energy uh, certain? Yeah, absolutely. Neither conserved nor it's just it's transference of state. And so I think you almost could could bring that into certainty, uncertainty, too. Yeah. And, uh, perhaps the certainty is, is that that's just like you would say that the energy was neither created nor destroyed. It's just a transference of said energy. I would say the same with certainty and uncertainty. You know, I mean, at this moment, you're certain about certain things. The air conditioner's on. You are taking breaths. Your autonomic nervous system is working. Um, I'm certain of all of those things because, thankfully, you've got your nice video there that I can see. Make sure. <laughs> but but, but you can, know, you hear my, can you hear my air conditioner? Or is it just the fact that it's 111 here and I'd probably be dying? If, uh... <laughs> that was an assumption. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing is, is sometimes we mistake uh, observations for certainty. Absolutely. Um, and, and we're like, sometimes being certain, um, like we're, we're observing that right now, my, like, like an observation is a, a, a point in time, but will my nervous system be running forever? No, like it's impermanent. So it's not, a, it's not a permanent state. So everything that you've just mentioned is a, is a temporary state. Oh yeah. I really like what you just said there. You know, it, um, from a physics perspective, that's what we call an inertial frame, so if you see a car driving and you take a picture of it at any one moment in time, you can deduce certain things about that car. 
you know, and and its setting and surrounding. However, you don't know if it's about to crash into a wall. You don't know if it's about to take the most beautiful drive in the world. You don't really have the video frames of a of a bunch of different inertial frames of which you could draw some degree of certainty or try to conclude some certainty. But the only thing that you, if you as you start to learn these things long enough, the only thing you know is that you don't know. Well. And, and, and you're also describing every every instance you've just described is an instance that is, that's occurred in the past, where when you're talking about certainty, it's it's a predictor of future. So oh, yeah. like like when you're looking at that, what is certain, not what was certain or what happened. It's you know this is if I if I go to school for these classes, I will get this job, or if I date this person, we will get married and right off into the sunset together uh, happily ever after. Like you know nothing is. Um, nothing is, is certain, even though we may think it is now hindsight's a whole different ball game because even <laughs> then, you know, the, the, uh, Buddhism teaches, there are, there are all, there are many different viewpoints and each one is wrong. Even the viewpoint that they're all wrong is wrong. So <laughs> you, you can't look at, cause there's so many different possibilities and perspectives, but, uh, um, like in, in regards to like, like certainty, it's future certainty. It's knowing that if I do this, if I save all my life and invest in the stock market, I'm going to retire fine. Well, unless there's a stock market crash, like unless the something happens and like we all think everything's certain, but when it when when things don't go that way, I think the pandemic's a great example. Like we all thought that lives were hunky dory, and then something happens, and the reality was we never had control. It's always just the illusion of control of our own lives. Absolutely. Um, man, how did we get down this rabbit hole? I think I was asking, oh yeah, about, about uncertainty and certainty. So, um, you know, you've talked about being a doctor. You've talked about being a fiance. You've talked about being a father. Who is Darren Merriman beneath all those roles? A kid for sure. Kid, you know, and I, I, I'll fight it forever until the last breath. I, I, uh, it's not that I don't age because I do uh, <laughs> certainly, but emotionally I'm in control of that. You know how you, I like to be inquisitive. I like to learn new things. I like to have a great time. Um, uh, and so some of that, you know, I'll get around people my age or older. and I just go, my goodness. what? <laughs> I, sometimes I just might not belong. And empathetically I can listen for a long, long time. So below the surface. Yeah. Yeah. Still very much a kid at heart. I, yeah. I like, a lot of the characteristics you would attribute to a child, I guess. Yeah. Guilty. So it sounds like those would be important values as well. Like, you know, um, curiosity. Oh, um, yeah. So, you well, know, that's, I know. And what's that? Uh, and I just curious. I just love to learn. You know, I was that pesky kid that always likes to know why. So whether it was, <laughs> you know, the whole physics thing, I guess is, is why. And then how the human body works is just, you know, why, why does this treatment work? Um, so it's annoying to the teacher, but for a never-ending student. It's funny. It's, I know we had the same uh, one of the same teachers in high school who's also our football coach, and I, I was the kid in class who would ask in history class, like, um, like he would talk about how you know the reason that that humans have humans are considered civilized is we have because we have divisions of labor and assigned tasks. And I remember raising my hand and be like, well, what about bees? And then the teacher. Coach Coach Ewart stopped the class and wouldn't start until he looked up the answer to tell me why bees weren't considered civilized. Because yeah, I was that annoying kid also. Um, you know, thirsty for knowledge, just want to know what the hell you know. Just, let's look at it from a different way. And seeing it great though, that you know, just like Coach Ewart, 
you know, that was way before Google, right? Oh yeah. I mean, but he would visit, he would go look up that answer <laughs> and give it to you. And so I mean, seriously, I was blessed with a lot of very tolerant, uh, empathetic teachers along the way. Um, so yeah, you're right. The why. And, and, you know, there's a, I know we're both fans of uh, Dr. Z dog online. He did an interview, um, with another, uh, doctor about awakening. Um, no. and you know, he had a great quote. He says, you know, when, when childhood dies, their corpses become adults. Oh, and, good. you know, because we, we lose that inquisitive nature. Like, you know, if you, if you ask a kid, if he's playing, he's not like, well, because I need my exercise. Like, I don't, I just like it. I enjoy playing, um, you know, and we lose that as an adult because we, we, we get a sign. It's kind of where I was going with who are we beneath all these roles, all these labels that we get slapped on us along the way, we allow it to become us and we lose sense of who we are beneath them. So it's, it's nice to hear that you still have that, that, that inquisitive childlike curiosity. Yeah. I can't really take credit in it. I think just the nature of having exposure to this many people undergoing this thing called life, mm -hmm. I've just picked up bits and pieces along the way. You know, it wasn't really some, I just sat down, to, you know, I'm just going to be a kid forever. No, I just, I found the people that aged the way I wanted to age, I guess, modeling, if you will. Yeah. And you kind of see what they do and you see what the, effectively. So there's what we in data would call a selection bias. Right? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not studying all the other people who might not have the characteristics I, I wouldn't want. And um, all of them display this curiosity and playfulness that is just infective. You know, it really, really is infectious as to how you approach them and interact with them. And you just literally want more time with them because they are, uh, they're a lot of fun. It, it sounds like you, you, you found your tribe is what it sounds like. Yeah. 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 And, and ever trying to expand, you know what I mean? Where it's, it's, it's not just like-minded social media echo chambers. You know, I kind of feel sorry for people that have limited themselves to where they are in their present state with like, you know, whatever it is that pew, you know, whether it be politics, whether it be COVID, whether it be whatever is in the next chapter where they can come up with a belief system and, you know, kind of resonate with themselves. Um, that certainly is one way to deal with things. But I think much like driving through McDonald's, you know, it may give you what you want right then, but there, there are some lasting effects from that. So, um, yeah. What's, what, do you, what do you think other than, because you've mentioned time and you've mentioned work, what do you think other than those things is holding you back from the life you want to live right now? Uh, I would say failure. Um, and I don't, what, I what do you define as failure? Uh, um, that's a great question. So let me, let me go with the first one. How did you ask it the first time? What is holding me? What back? do you think is holding you back from living the life you want? Um, right now. Okay. So starting in 2008 through about 2014, 15, 16, at various stages in there. Um, I had started a number of different businesses, four, five, six, seven different companies. And um, we did a lot of things right, a lot of things wrong. We had some real estate holding companies. We had some uh, home health care companies, you know, that took care of seniors and staff nurses and doctors and nurse practitioners and stuff. And we had aesthetics clinics and primary care clinics. And then I was still trying to practice. And a couple of them did not do well. And we did everything we could to try to make sure that those things stayed afloat um, because we had basically at that time, like 208 employees. And so, mm -hmm. and their, their families. 
So we did everything we could to make that survive. And that was an incredible debt situation that ended up resulting in a, like a $14 million bankruptcy. It was hugely uh, challenging. I think is Mm -hmm. the kindest way to put it. Um, But you know, that failure had uh, a lot of negative ramifications for a lot of people. And, and that was tough. So there was the emotions of all of that, but even as you start to rise above that and make sense of it and all of those things, they're still reaching effects. So for example, like IRS audits on years that you went broke, you know, hiring, you know, lawyers and stuff to represent you so that you can try to get a fresh start. That process is not a fast process. Matter of fact, mine's still ongoing and you know, my, my quote unquote failure from the, the bankruptcy had, had long closed long ago. So even if tomorrow I wanted to go scratch off a lottery ticket, right. And, and, you know, try to form some new way of investing this out of the other. Um, there are certain things logistically that kind of hold that back until I can get a stamp of approval of like, all right, here's your clean start. You can move forward. And so, uh, Maybe that helped me, you know, with enjoyment, because again, as a driven person, as an entrepreneur, as somebody who wants to do this out of the other, and I like creating jobs and everything else, it, it may have protected me for myself, right? I mean, you know, if, if I would have started name your, name your uh, company or your service provider during the middle of a pandemic, I know how that story goes. You know, that's the reason why I feel so sad for so many small businesses right now who are truly struggling is, is just so, so tough. And so back to failure is interesting. You mentioned that because that was something that gave me some interesting perspective. I used to have a traditional way of defining failure, which was, you know, basically the outcome. Right. I mean, you win or lose the game. If, if you lost the game and you didn't become independently, you know, wealthy or have X amount of, you know, companies last for 20, 30 years, well, then obviously that failed, right? By all measures. Um, and I had to, and I'll credit my boy Tony that, with that. Um, I had to define what failure was for me. Yeah. Because I had seen, you know, people around me, quote unquote, fail. And for me, the only failure was if I literally didn't do everything I could to make sure that they survived. And, you know, and it was easy for me to, to figure that out in medicine, but yeah. I didn't give myself the same professional latitude. You know, it was win at all costs. Failure is not an option, you know, and that mantra uh, hurt me and others that I cared about tremendously. Mm. And so I had to really look at that from a different prism with that experience of, you know, I can't do all these things. It was easy when it used to be me, right? Yeah. If I show up, if I go to my job, if I go do the work, if I go find a way, that's an easy. But then when you have, when you have other, other, other people bread on the table, you know, that's when you have all, when basically everything you or your company or enterprise is doing is dependent upon the works, beliefs, and everything else of others, it's yeah. hard to deliver on that promise. So integrity, which I hold at a very, very high standard, um, it's tough when some things you say and do are completely dependent upon factors outside of yourself. And that's always the case to a degree. But the more out of, let's air quote, control that is, where you literally can't just reel it in, and and that's tough. And so I had to rework how I saw failure because um, – Otherwise, you can be very, very difficult on yourself. You know. Well, that's one of the things that you know I, I try to work with my clients on is uh, looking at mastery versus goal orientation. Where, or sorry, mastery versus outcome. Um, and it's something that I struggled with. Which is why the the book that I'm writing is called Chasing the Rabbit: Why Achieving Success is Never Enough. Because 
you know, you cross the finish line of an Ironman. Okay, well, what now? Well, what now? It's like it was always feeling empty because the goal was never really the goal. Um, and it, it's because I, I wasn't mastering the process of it. And even if I failed and didn't get the goal, um, not looking at it as what did I learn? What, what could I do differently? Which is different because it's not goal oriented. Um, I mean, if you want to sit there and keep making, you know, doing what you're doing because it's successful, I mean, pull out your Blackberry and take some notes and, uh, yeah. you know, see how well that works for you. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's adapting and, and what can you learn versus just, just looking at that bottom line. Absolutely. And so to your point, like when I talk about business and failure in, in business, the thing that I learned that I learned way too late is number one, no one in their right mind should start a business, continue a business or, you know, fight the failure of a business with debt, right? I mean, you just, you just, there are other ways you can go about that that can be more effective because the mistake that I made was I was a personal guarantor of all of them. So even if like, you know, six or seven of them are doing fantastic, but two of them need to close because they, they're not doing well by all me measures. Uh, they're not the anchor for the other six, huh? It can't be the other six, but if they all have to rise or sink together, that's an incredible challenge. And at yeah. the time I was just, you know, it, you, you don't know what you don't know. And when you're a guarantor of everything. And so I made a huge mistake right there at the foundation. That was a foundational issue that, that literally my companies and I could not uh, survive. And so, but you know, so there's, there's the analysis of those kind of situations and then there's everything else. Well, but, but listening to your acceptance and I think, you know, just, just, listening to you talk, it makes sense now why um, you've learned to find joy in the little things and, and enjoyment in life and the self-compassion because you have a different prism that you're looking at everything through, Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and, and allowing yourself to be human and having made those mistakes and learning from them. So that's, you know, it, it's been uh, just, just listening to you. I mean, I've, gosh, again, known you for over three decades, but uh, um, you're, you're an incredible human being, brother. And uh, thank okay. you for, for, for sharing. And uh, before we end, if you were to have one piece of advice that you were to give someone who feels like um, they, they're not, let's say you want to give someone advice who, who doesn't find the enjoyment in life. What would you tell them to help them find enjoyment in the moment? Um, enjoyment in the moment. Uh First of all, be observant, you know what I mean? Because the, if you're taking, let's back to your picture analogy, if I take a picture of, of where you're at right now, and let's say 78% of what they're seeing is not what they're wanting to see, or it's eliciting a certain emotion, you know, you have control over your, your field of view, right? So if you widen out another, you know, 10%, you may see the one thing that bring, get, brings you the most joy. If in this cacophony of a picture, there is one thing that I see on there, 1% of it that I like or could, could perceive enjoyment from. That's where you must put your focus. Now, as you start to get in a better situation, you can start to find other parts within that picture that you might start to like. So say, for example, if I had however many pictures of myself on my wall back behind me, um, <laughs> <laughs> and you're hypothetically like, speaking, of course, hypothetically speaking, um, if I'm looking back there and those are the two to three things that I like, but then at that moment, I see the achievement of that Ironman. And I remember the doubt that I had that that could ever be achieved. You start to build upon 
the thing that you already have the emotion that you want, right? Yeah. So you're, you're, you're layering on top of that. So if that's to laugh in a setting that is not laughable, right? Might not even be the time or the place. Yeah. But if your goal is to find enjoyment in places where you cannot find enjoyment, you have to start and build on the, the, the thing you hear, see, believe, and then layer outward from there. And then eventually, if you layer the whole picture, you'll see that the entire thing, even the initial 78%, which you saw as unpleasant, there's something beautiful in that too. Um, that would be the, how That's I awesome. have learned to do it in the ER at least. Awesome. Now, only because you're 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 pointing out the pictures behind me, this might not play well for the podcast. But uh, maybe I'll put a picture of it up. I'm going to show you what's on the other wall over here, which is a six foot picture of me that was sent to me whenever I was a spokesperson for uh, EAS Sports Nutrition, and it can't hang anywhere else in the house. But I I still I feel way too vain to have it hanging behind me, so I stare at it. So that's uh, just to show, you know. I'm not trying to pick on you, brother. I'm just trying. No, I, I found it funny. Um, yes, I literally was sitting there looking at your pictures on the back wall. I was trying to find different aspects of things. Well, but like over here on this side, on the wide view, I've got my control what you can thing over here above the bookshelf. Yeah. Um, you know. <laughs> Sorry, it was the picture metaphor. And then with all the pictures, I had to. Uh, it's all good. That's why, you know, I, I love your sense of humor. And I think that's why we've gotten along all these years is we're both, uh, we're both just old children. And that's why I tell people when you turn 18, a bolt of lightning doesn't hit you and make you an adult. We're all just old children. Um, and it, it's nice to remember that sometimes. So, um, I appreciate you and thank you for, for coming on here and your honesty and your vulnerability. And, um, hopefully if anyone in the medical community hears this, they can, um, you know, l learn something and maybe everyone else can too. So, so thanks Darren. And, uh, I'll see you on, uh, call of duty sometime soon. I'm sure. Absolutely, brother. I appreciate you having me. Thank you, sir. Thanks.